Hey everybody, welcome to Rust Belt Startup. I'm your host Ryan Miller, and this is a this is an occasional podcast um, that is full of um, some shorties, but some long form conversations with artists, entrepreneurs, uh, people that are living unconventional lives in unconventional locations. And uh, today I'm actually uh, doing this um, broadcasting a Zoom conversation that I had with a good friend of mine, uh, Chef Tim Hardiman, who owns the wonderful restaurant, uh, The Tailor and the Cook. It is a uh, uh, exquisite farm-to-table experience. It's not just a, a restaurant in Utica, New York. And um, one of my favorite places to dine when we can, and, and Tim is one of my favorite people, actually. Um, very uh, creative individual, and, and, and the experience that he's created at The Tailor and the Cook is 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 absolutely extraordinary. Um, this is a conversation that uh, I actually recorded recently because um, if you don't know, I, I run uh, uh, eight-week accelerator programs for new entrepreneurs. Uh, it's called The Refinery. And um, one of the conversations that we're having, which I think is really apropos for today's climate, is on how to pivot. And uh, so we spent some time uh, last week talking about the art of the pivot. What do you do when things go wrong? What do you th- do when things don't go as expected? And what do you do in case of a pandemic? And so I had this conversation with Tim um, about kind of what, what is it like to be uh, um, in the restaurant business as everything is shutting down and collapsing around him. And he gives us some great insights around uh, the importance of service, the importance of detail, and how to step back and really assess the situation um, uh, from a logical rather than uh, straight up emotional perspective. So he's going to take us through um, a little bit about the Taylor and the Cook and their kind of North Star, their core philosophies on service and and their business, uh, but also spend some time taking us through what has happened um, over the past 12 months and what it's like to be a restaurateur in this climate. He's done some really innovative things around virtual dining and uh, trying to create that tailor and the cook experience um, in your home. And, and uh, I think there's a lot to be learned from this conversation. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with myself and Tim Hardiman, Chef Tim Hardiman from The Tailor and the Cook. I uh, wanted to do this quick conversation with my good friend, Tim Hardiman, who is the proprietor, head chef, owner. I don't know what the exact title is, Tim, the, the tailor oh. and the cook. What is, it's all of the above? All of those things, yeah. All of those things at the tailor and the cook in Utica. Uh, I'm going to actually just go right to Tim and have him tell you a little bit about like what the tailor and the cook is. And then we're going to kind of dig into the the kind of shit show that was that was 2020. Yeah. <laughs> um. The Taylor and the Cook is is a farm to table restaurant, a farm to table eatery, um, in in uh, Bag Square, downtown Utica. You know, it, as as played out as as the term farm to table is, um, it's become kind of uh, a trendy tagline that some people don't take as seriously as we do, but. Um, it is uh, what we are. We um, source our ingredients um, from local farmers and producers. Simple as that. It's not a really highfalutin term. Um, but uh, Cisco doesn't pull up at our back door. Um, any week uh, between 15 and 25 or 30 different deliveries come in the back door from local farmers. Uh, in addition to the food, um, the tailor and the cook is... Uh, supports uh, local wine, beer, and spirits as well. Um, 
So for the most part, um, you'll find New York State craft beverages um, behind the bar and in our, our cocktail programs. And um, so outside of that, we're, we're another restaurant in, in a great line of restaurants in, in New York, but we just source things a lot differently and we pay a lot of attention to, um, you know, where things are coming from and how we are uh, obtaining them. Uh, and, you, you know, know, I was going to ask you to, uh, there's obviously a, there's a big focus on the, the, the sourcing and the ingredients. And I think, I think I'm probably not alone in saying that, uh, when I am able to dine there, the, I think where you guys really shine is exper the experiential part of, of, of dining. Um, and I don't know if you, if you want to talk a little bit about that, is, is that, is that something that you wanted to, you, you built as, 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 as part of the business from the drop or how do you think about, cause that to me is a giant differentiator too. It's not just the food, but it's the whole, it's like riding a ride when you go there. Total package. Yeah. And, and I appreciate that you recognize that. And so many people do because there is a lot of heart and soul that goes into that, you know, out of the gate, it wasn't, um, it wasn't quite as defined as it is now for how, you know, our, our service and atmosphere, um, you know, kind of guides the, the meal, but we had every intention of it, of it being a, I don't really know how, how to, how to word that Ryan, you know, we had every intention of it being fine dining, but we didn't want it to be stuffy. We didn't want it to be, um, overblown. And, and, and there's a lot of people that, that, you know, that kind of alienates if, if it becomes too, you know, a too fine dining, too white linen. So, um, you know, it was Melissa that really, my wife, Melissa, that really guided that, um, out of the gate when she was managing the front of the house was that we want to give these people white linen service, but we don't want them to realize they're getting it. Um, you know, there is no linen on the table. Um, but, and there are no waiters in, in black jackets, you know, um, but you're getting that type of, of, of uh, experiential service, meaning that, you know, we're trying to anticipate what you need um, before you need it. Um, and we're also trying to make it a bit of a storyboard, you know, because we, we source things differently, because we, we pay attention to, to the quality of our ingredients. We like to share that. And there's a fine line um, between being up on a soapbox and, and sharing a cool story. Uh, early out of the gate, I definitely think we were on a soapbox at times, or at least perceived to be uh, on, the, on a soapbox. So we really tried to kind of wheel that back. Uh, you have to gauge every, every guest. You know, Some yeah. guests really want to know what's going on. They're really into New York state wine. They're into farm to table. They, they're into the history of the building and other guests are there for a good meal and want to be left alone. And the mark of, of good service is really understanding what it is that, that, um, that, that your guest in particular is looking for. No, that that's, that's true. You know, I think, um, I don't know, for me, I love, I love the story. That's one of the things that I sure. love about, about going there. And, you know, I don't know if it was Chris, your business partner, and I don't know if this was more of a, of a nail creek thing, but he, I, I remember, I think he said something like classy, not fancy. <laughs> and I think that's but, a good, a good way of thinking about it. Great thing. But, um, you know, in, in some ways it does kind of, um, translate to the tailor and the cook too. Yeah. I, I think, um, 
you know, I, I had never known what um, an, 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 amuse, an amuse bouche. What, how do you say I mean, amuse bouche? Is bouche. Yeah, and didn't know what one of those was until I went there. And, you know, it's this whole, it's a whole different level of, of dining. So, um, you know, I kind of, I kind of wanted you to talk about that a little bit to, to kind of set the stage because as a business that is known for freshness, ingredients, service, uh, that, that whole package, I mean, it's really, it's, it's really the reason that people probably travel a great distance to go and eat at your restaurant is because it is that in-person experience. And then, and then 2020 hits and you have to completely reinvent the business. And, and I was hoping maybe you would talk to me a little bit about what, what that first wave of, of, I don't know, was it panic? Was it, um, what were those emotions and what were you thinking at the time? You know, right out of the gate, I think it was like so many other business owners. It was, it was just terror. You know, there was, it, it was uncharted waters, you know, those, I think back on those first couple of weeks in, in late March, you know, that was early April. That was, you know, we, we didn't know whether we were coming or going. And, um, I, the first thing that I, I, re, I remember that the first thing that I did was probably the, the, a different knee jerk than a lot of other hospitality or restaurant um, owners had was that um, I was going to get rid of product that was going to go bad. And I was going to take a couple weeks to let this wash over me. Uh, I remember a lot of my peers went in a different direction. You know, they rolled up their sleeves and they started on day one with, with interesting takeout, um, with, you know, just, just doing what they needed to do to, to stay alive. I decided I needed to take a step back from it. Um, and it was just, there was, things were so uncertain and, coupled with the fact that the tailor and the cook has never really been a, a restaurant that specialized or even really uh, spent much time in takeout. Um, I wanted to see what the next few weeks were going to look like. And I'm glad I did it that way. Uh, retrospectively, I certainly needed a little bit of a recharge personally. So, um, you know, the one thing that I always remember when, when times are tough is that I was told, and I don't even know who told me it, uh, but it was a long time ago. And decisions made in, in stress, stressful times or, or in duress are oftentimes not the right decisions. We, we, we want to be able to, you know, pick our head up and think thoughtfully through things. Now that's not, that, that is also pretty counterproductive to how a restaurant is run. It's a high stress environment. Uh, it's fast paced. It moves quickly and you make decisions on the fly. So don't get me wrong. I, I'm not kicking back and, and overanalyzing everything, but I'm glad that I took a few weeks to let it all wash over me. And, and uh, it was scary because I was really concerned about our staff. Um, but as I recall, I think the federal government pretty reacted pretty quickly um, and, and so I, I wasn't so concerned, you know, if there was unemployment plus stimulus and, and things, um, were okay from, from the standpoint of, of will, will my staff make it through this? Um, and that took a lot of stress off of me and, and we, we just thought things through and, and I started to develop a bunch of ideas. Um, 
which I'm happy to tell you about. But yeah, I, I, I mean, that's that's kind of that's kind of one of the things I thought was was interesting. You did take a step back, and but how? You know, I think the things that you well, I'll, I'll just I'll just shut up and I'll let you I'll let you go. Well, I think that step back those those it was probably three weeks. Uh, it might have even been a little bit more. My memory isn't really that clear about how long that step back was, but um, you're also you're also baiting the hook, right? Um, I am aware that people really enjoy what we offer, and absence makes the heart grow fonder. And so when when you can recharge your own batteries, and you can you can you know perhaps make people long for what they 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 used to enjoy then that's a win-win and um it gave me the space and time to to develop some ideas um and the one thing i was sure of is that takeout really isn't what the tailor and the cook is all about i'm not really interested in taking our food and putting it in a box hot uh and sending it home for you to eat you know 20 to 30 minutes later that that does not translate um to how we do what we do uh, and neither is it a good value um, for the person who is purchasing that quote unquote takeout so uh, whenever i think about how i want to deliver a product or a package to to my guest i think about four things food beverage service atmosphere those are the four things that uh, those are the four components to to uh, an experience at the tailor and the cook. So I've immediately ripped atmosphere out of it and and thrown it in the trash. Governor Cuomo was good enough to allow um, takeout beverages, so beverage could still be a part of it. Food is obviously a part of it, but at the tailor and the cook, it requires a lot more thought um, than just putting it in the box. And service. Service is like the gray area of takeout that, um, quite honestly, I don't think anybody really considers. So I'm still going to fork over a good chunk of change. I still expect good quality in food. And if I'm lucky enough to be able to deliver takeout beverages, but why is service, um, why is service an afterthought when, when, when considering takeout? And I think that's one of the things that a lot of, of a lot of restaurants really, um, you know, either a completely missed the boat or b understood that there was an opportunity there and did refine their their service i'm certainly not the only one who who quasi succeeded uh in in you know sharpening the pencil of service during the the pandemic but i wanted it to be an experience i wanted to try and include all four of the things that i always consider so um we developed a a, a concept um about virtual dining and I called my good buddy you uh, and because I, the one thing I knew that if I'm going to try and de deliver this if I'm going to translate this this Taylor and the cook um, dining experience to someone at their home and we're going to do it through this platform called zoom or, or or whatever you know as I'm developing this idea um, I knew I couldn't do that on my own on my own I was completely you know, into an area that required something other than food, beverage, service, and atmosphere. It required technology. Um, something that, <laughs> thankfully, my, my restaurant, you know, we do utilize technology in certain ways, but uh, 
I'm thankful that what I do in some ways is, is still pretty, uh, person to person. It's, it's almost archaic in, in that respect that, um, you can only add so much technology to, to a dining experience. So, uh, but this is a whole different ball game, taking it to taking it virtual. Um, and, and we developed the idea of, uh, of dining virtually. So the guests, uh, will, pick up their food at the tailor and the cook or have, um, them delivered. Uh, we, we focused on a three course model included three bottles of wine. It was a dinner for two package. Um, uh, we teamed up with Northland communications, uh, our local telecom provider to, um, use their platform, uh, called, uh, max UC because we focus locally. So, uh, zoom is like the Budweiser, right? Well, we don't carry Budweiser at the tailor and the cook. Um, so we don't use zoom at the tailor and the cook, but, um, we, we, we achieved this idea. Um, we put it out there. People were interested. Uh, we sold all the tickets that we expected to, and the time comes for the first evening, right? So the food wasn't difficult in that, uh, we prepped it up to about 90% and put it in a box, um, cold, uh, took great care to, to get it to you in a way that, um, some minor reheating would, would deliver hopefully a, at least a, a comparable product to what you might get at the tailor and the cook. And then, you know, you and I pulled that off. We brought my, my, uh, my buddy, Cameron Mills, our wine director from the tailor and the cook into the fold. Uh, and what we, what we rolled out was on that first night. I, I don't know. It was, it was special. I, it was special. It was mind blowing in that, I was really concerned that it might be a total fumble, that it might be really lame. Um, I knew the food would be good. The wine would be good, but can we deliver this package? Can, what about the, what about the service? What about the, the, the atmosphere? What's going to happen in, in this virtual world? And, uh, it arguably became as intimate or maybe more intimate than, than, a, a, a dinner at the tailor and the cook, because we really were in each other's homes. You know, I think to, to piggyback on your idea of how do you translate service to that, that virtual environment, you know, I think you took great care to, um, to, you know, to, to, to make sure that, um, I think everything leading up to the delivery to the pickup was, was as, as seamless and thoughtful as possible, you know? So going back to the tech part, you know, I, I remember we made little how to videos, how, like how to get into the room. Right. And we, and there was a, you know, a branded email with the menu and instructions and we did a survey after, um, and I think you had a beautiful printed you know, a readout of the menu in case you didn't want to jump on the, on the Zoom right. call. I mean, all those things are little details that I really think added to the, the, the fidelity of that experience, you know, where it wasn't just like a pick it up with a, with a URL on it and, and go. Right. And I think you did a, a good job of really trying to think, think about those things. How do you make it? Yeah. So you got to use technology. How do we make it as part of the service? Exactly. And, and I've always been a believer that service in, in, service begins before you dine at the tailor and the cook, whether it's, uh, you know, a phone call and an interaction with, um, you know, one of our, one of our team, whether it's uh, hopefully a seamless, uh, 
uh, interaction digitally, you know, booking a table with, uh, booking a reservation with open table. I think service begins, you know, at the curb too, you know, if it's the middle of a snowstorm and our sidewalk isn't clear and you're dining at the, at the tailor and the cook, then, then we're not providing good service. So again, trying to translate that into that, that virtual dining experience. Yeah. It starts before you log on, and and uh, you helped me greatly with that. You know, we the the branded emails, the the printouts, the the everything that we did leading up to the you know seven p.m. Uh, launch of our of our Max UC virtual dinner was part of that as well. You know, the pickup, um, whether they were picking up or the delivery of the food, um, that all the matters. wine was in a case, like the wine was in a tailing the cook branded carrier, like that yeah. all. Is I, I remember when when we got our first one, we I was shocked at just how how beautiful the whole the whole thing was. No doubt, no. and so no. um, those things that you know, I, I pride myself on thinking about all the details, and those things cause me um, great stress and gray hairs at times. But um, I think that it is what separates us from you know, some other places is that those little details are not, uh, they're not looked over, you know? How do you, how did you, I guess one quick sidebar on, on that service, uh, conversation is, you know, where, where does that constant, um, uh, kind of attention to it come from? Is that something that was drilled into you very early on? Because I, you know, I think, that there's, I mean, there's a lot of folks that I work with where maybe, maybe the product isn't even as good as some of the competitors, but boy, you could compete on service. OCD. <laughs> That's where <laughs> I am, especially as I get older. I'm definitely, I, I don't know. I've never been diagnosed, but I definitely exhibit, uh, you know, strong symptoms of, of obsessive compulsive disorder. Uh, I'm, I'm high strung. I'm, uh, I'm a very much, uh, that type of a personality and type a personality. And, um, to a certain extent, those have been things that have been successful for me and I have been able to translate them to success in my, uh, you know, my career and my business and my, with my staff too, because they, they kind of come along for the ride though. I wouldn't say that, uh, really any of my staff is, is quite as high strung as I am, but they kind of all balance me out. Um, but you got to be careful because those things that, that I, and I think everybody has this a lot of times that the drive or the determination or the things that, that lead us to be successful can also be, you know, great, uh, detriment, um, to someone who, you know, really is passionate about what they do. You know, if you can't turn those things off, if you can't yeah. put those things to rest, um, then those those things that are successful could very well be your undoing or, or, you know, it, it, I could go into that, but that's not what we're here to talk about. But th those are the things that if you can balance the things that drive you, then they can lead you to success, but you, you have to be careful with them. I think. Was there, um, I'll get, uh, well, actually I'll do a little bit more on the virtual dining. Um, experience then, then i just thought of a couple of questions i wanted to, to ask you to, to kind of sure. round it out um the you know what were some of the what were some of the things that you heard from 
from customers? Were they the same customers that typically would eat in person? Was it different? Like, did that change who the who the tail and the cook customer was at all, or do you feel like it was mostly um, a retention effort uh, or a retention play with with your existing diners? Uh, I think it was 50-50. You know, we had a lot of our good regulars for sure. That said, um, I think after the first, you know, it wasn't for everyone. It was successful, yeah. intimate, but it wasn't for everyone. And that's cool. You know, um, I know that there were a, a number of people who tried one and did have uh, good regulars who tried one and did not subscribe again. You know, I, I cast no stones towards them. Um, we did do some other, um, scattered takeout in the different in shutdown one and shutdown two, where they weren't virtual dinners, uh, heat and eat options. And you'd see those people return for those. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the virtual dining is not for everyone. There's a lot of people that spend a lot of time during the day on zoom, you know, uh, for their, for their day job that probably the last thing they really want to do is get on zoom again or, or max UC for a two hour meal, whether it's the tailor and the cook or not, I get it. Yeah. So in, in that respect, um, we did see a lot of regulars, but I met a number of new people um, that, you know, I'm sure they may have dined with us at, at one point or another. Um, they were obviously on our mailing list or following our socials. So, um, but we had what I would consider some, some pandemic regulars, uh, people that were uh, a part of every virtual dinner that I don't recall being um, really good regulars in the restaurant. Um, and maybe it was just situational and maybe they'll, maybe we'll start to see them more, you know, once we reopen or maybe, you know, the other thing is too, there's a lot of people doesn't really have that much to do with the pandemic. You know, you have a few kids at home, um, mm-hmm. You don't have a whole lot of babysitters. You're not, you're not going out at night. So the, the, the concept of, of, uh, of virtual dining doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, pigeonholed to, to pandemic, but I don't know as it'll be something that will remain for me, um, you know, long-term, even though I do suspect there is probably a little bit of a, of a, of a need for it outside of the pandemic, but um, I'm looking forward to putting that chapter to bed. So I, I guess two two questions to kind of put a put a bow on this. Number one is, was there? I guess this maybe is a, is a precursor to the, to the virtual dining and and heat and eat. Was there? You know, when you when you are having to pivot in that, and everybody did to a certain extent dur- during the last year. Um, was there a point for you where you had? Was there ever was there ever a conversation in your head that says, you know what, we're not going to make it, we just have to shut down? Or were you always like, I'm going to figure this out, and I don't know how I'm going to figure it out, but I'm going to figure it out? Some days I'm the latter. You know, I, I feel fairly invincible in my hour, I should not say my, uh, our ability to, you know, be creative and, and get through things. Uh, other times, and most of the time, it, it, the the real defining factor is cash flow. Um, yes. Sometimes you feel really downtrodden, and you there is enough uncertainty that um, you know doubt or fear become the prevailing you know emotions. So uh, I think I shared I, I I walked both those paths that you just described. Um, 
the the worst fear and doubt that I felt was actually um, going into the second shutdown. Now, so let's define shutdown one was done for us by the governor, uh, March to June, right? Mm-hmm. We didn't have much choice but to be takeout. Um, then we reopened in June and we had a good summer. It was nice to be back open and, and we waited through the, the logistics that are, you know, operating a pandemic restaurant, you know. The day after Thanksgiving, the bottom really dropped out of it for, for the tailor and the cook. Um, people just weren't comfortable dining inside at that time, even if we were, you know, crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's, which we were. I, 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 there wasn't a, a more thoughtful and safe dining experience than the tailor and the cook, but that wasn't good enough for, um, you know, the majority of people clearly because our numbers dropped to a place of, of complete unsustainable. Uh, we couldn't continue, um, with those numbers. And again, you know, takeout, we, we had a, a variety of different takeout options while we were open, you know, heat and eat dinner for two. Um, we, we certainly didn't just put all our eggs back in the, in the, the in-person dining basket because it never made sense, uh, even through June, July, August, September, October, November, um, all our eggs were not in one basket, but, um, I just remember you know, that week after Thanksgiving, looking at the numbers and and just not knowing if we were going to make it. And I was so scared to shut down again. And I kept, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I was wishing the the governor would do it for me. And he never did. He never shut us down again, you know, uh, in perpetuity, the way that he did the, the first time. And I finally, we had to pull the plug two weeks before Christmas, uh, and lay everybody off again. And, um, that was, that was hard. And, but I'll tell you, we, we were able to rebound through tremendous generosity of so many of our guests, huge gift card sales. I hope that other restaurants felt that, uh, I can't imagine that it was, it was, you know, just the tailor and the cook alone, but the amount of money that we brought in over, over Christmas time and gift card sales was, was enough to write our financial ship. Now, from a business standpoint, spending all your gift card dollars, uh, when the money comes in is a terrible idea, but, uh, desperate yeah, time measures. Yeah. And, but we, we were able to pay our bills. I mean, and it, it got tough there for us because, um, you know, when a restaurant falls behind and people start looking for checks or when a business falls behind, people start looking for checks, you know, probably most people are, are aware of, of what that feels like to, you know, have somebody say, Hey, can, can we get a payment? Uh, it was remarkably hard for me because remember, like I said, Cisco doesn't pull up. So I, I didn't owe money to like some big corporate thing. I owed money friends uh to peter and Susie jones and to steve winkler and and uh to people that i care about you know people and that's that that was the one the first time in my entire life that i regretted like the farm to table thing and it was short-lived thankfully but i just it was hard it's hard to owe these people money because shit rolls downhill uh and when restaurants numbers tank they're not paying the farmers that provide us the food you know, and, and it's, a it's a study in economics in the worst way possible. Uh, 
And so those, that was hard. That was hard, but we did turn it around. And, and then, uh, uh, you know, we, we shut down on our own accord because we felt like it was the responsible thing to do. And we started focusing on the virtual dining again and the heat and eat takeout. And we, we treaded water through the last three or four months. And now, you know, we, we're making plans to reopen as well. Um, so shutdown one was done for us. Shutdown two was our own choice. Um, there were some scary times, but, um, you know, we got through it and then, you know, I'm not going to pretend like, you know, federal dollars, stimulus money and PPP money isn't, isn't something that helped us through it because it certainly was, but, uh, I'm thankful that, uh, we're able to weather the storm and come out, you know, relatively unscathed. Um, and we've all learned a lot. So I try to, I'm trying to focus on the things that, that are positives, you know, we, we had to pivot in ways that we never would have. And we developed skills that um, some of them will, will live on with, with us in our, in our business model. Um, we'll certainly be prepared and able to weather this storm should it happen again in the fall or winter. You know, I think we're all hoping yeah. that, that we've, we've gotten through the worst of this and that whether it be herd immunity or vaccinations or, or, or whatever, that, that the worst is over. But if it's not, um, I hope I can get through it again, you know, with what I've learned. Um, you kind of answered what my final question was going to be. I guess the last thing I'll leave it with is, you know, for other people, maybe not restaurateurs or some restaurateurs, um, how, you know, what, I guess, what did, this is always the easy question, like what, or the easy question to ask is the hard question to answer. What advice would you give people that are, um, uh, you know, starting a business kind of on the heels of, of a pandemic or people that are in business that, that maybe um, didn't think about, um, I mean, who would have thought that this was going to happen? But uh, now you kind of have this, this um, I don't know, this, this, I'll call it an immune, not an immunity, but like the spidey sense of yeah. like, you know, like, okay, how do you need to be prepared for the unexpected? What advice would you give people on how to prepare for the unexpected, if that's even an answerable question? I think I got a circle, come back full circle to where I started in, in kind of telling you um, how things rolled out for us when the pandemic started. I, I My best advice is to find a way to pull yourself out of the, the thick of, of what it is that you're dealing with, you know, and, and try to think objectively. And there's a few different ways, you know, that people like, you know, I'm, I am as high strung as, as it gets. I am as, as stressed as it gets at times there. I cannot, you know, remove these things from my mind and, and from, from my psyche to, to find that uh, place of relaxation, but there are ways to do it. You need to find relaxation in order to think clearly and to make really hard, important decisions. You know, I'm not talking about in the heat of the moment when you're doing what you do on a regular basis in a restaurant, you sometimes have to make decisions on the fly. That's, that's fun. That's the action that I, I, I get off on really. But when things are really intense, if, if we have to deal with, with the unexpected again, you, you have to possess the ability to pull yourself out of it. 
And whether that's, you know, meditation or physical activity, um, it's always good to have somebody to talk to, a muse, a, a friend, a partner, a therapist, um, and pull yourself out of the thick of, of what it is that you're dealing with and find a way to make decisions from a, you don't want to make decisions being backed into a corner. Um, you want to make decisions with thought and, and grace and care. And that is not easy when you're dealing with, you know, utter devastation. And, and the, what we've been through in the last year, we never, like you said, we never could have forecasted it. But if I look at how we got through it, it was um, by taking the time to step back, um, not rushing, um, not, not making forced, stressed decisions. Um, but allowing ourselves the time to, to, you know, be thoughtful and, and be careful. That would be my best advice. That's good advice. Um, I'll leave it there. That, cool. This is, this is way more comprehensive than I, than I thought, but it's great. Like this is, this is perfect. So, um, thank you very much. I want to thank Tim for always being so generous with his time. Every time I, I ask him for something, and that, that seems to be a lot lately, uh, he's always willing to give his time to share his story, to share his insights. And at some point, I got to learn how to do some of the amazing pickling stuff that he does at the restaurant. So I um, hope you enjoyed this conversation. You can learn more about Tim uh, at thetailorandthecook.com. And uh, they're reopening April 16th um, for in-person dining, which I'm super excited about. My wife and I are going. We're going op opening night. I uh, hope you guys have a great and safe rest of the week.